Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Double Feature Versus. I'm Anthony. I'm Brad. Yeah, that's um, that's Brad. And uh, today we have a special one. Uh, the duo, we uh, went to our first Sundance Film Festival. Yes. So this year, Sundance moved to a fully online and that allowed us to kind of be able to dive in and actually participate this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was, um, man, I just had, I had an entire blast, dude. I've always wanted to go to Sundance Film Festival. As a cinephile, it's one of those things on my bucket list. And, you know, the pandemic is a, you, we're all pretty much fatigued and tired of this whole thing. But it's, uh, it's a real blessing that uh, we could, you know, attend this thing online because initially it was a hybrid. It was in person and online. And then, you know, Omicron Assemble showed up and now the whole thing is online now and the hybrid thing got knocked out of the water. Right. And, you know, it, it sucks that it moved from the hybrid to fully online, but at the same time, that allowed us to actually participate a little bit more on this one. Uh, yeah, it did yeah. lead to one movie getting cut that I was really excited for, sadly. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you really wanted to see Final Cut. I did, and uh, ironically, it was the final cut for that movie. But it, all right, let's move on now. <laughs> <laughs> you got, got your rim shot. We, we got the bad jokes out of the way. We can start doing the podcast now. <laughs> if, hey, if we got sound effects, you ain't got to include this part. But if we got sound effects, you should put in a but it. <laughs> Oh, no, this is getting included. I'm not cutting this out. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're we're going to create our own sound effects, and we'll just add those in post or not. <laughs> I got you. All right, so um, the funny thing about this festival, uh, uh, it, it, I guess it was kind of bad timing, kind of not for you, since you kind of had to go on a trip. Yeah, or... so this ended up overlapping with a previous trip I had planned uh, to go out to California to see the band Anamanaguchi perform live. And sadly, that meant that I wasn't able to partake in as much for Sundance this year. Uh, hold on. Tell them why you went to see this band, oh, Anamanaguchi. They did the soundtrack for the Scott Pilgrim video game, and they played the entire soundtrack live. Only he, only he would know that nerd shit. Oh, of course. Well, plenty <laughs> of other people as well. There, there's at least twelve of us in existence. <laughs> I thought uh, it was seven, but okay. Yeah. Well, we we got upgraded a little bit. You know, we we managed to convert a couple more people in. Oh man, hey, I can't even blame you, man. I if if I you know went to a concert, it would probably be for some niche. If if I went to an um a band with a niche audience like that, I probably would. It'll probably be for a niche reason, like, oh, they did the sound check for Kill Bill 2. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you know, I, I, I hear you on that. <laughs> Would you have fun? Oh, of course. It was a blast. Uh, getting to see them live and everything like that. Also got to go through, like, Hollywood Boulevard and 
got to see like all the stars on the the sidewalk and stuff like that and every like couple of feet going oh hey i recognize that name oh hey i recognize that name oh hey i recognize that name <laughs> oh you saw the whole you saw you saw the walk with all the uh uh, the handprints and everything. Yeah, so uh, we did a little bit of nice. a walk through by like the Chinese theater and stuff like that. So we were kind of going up and down the street. Mm-hmm. So it, it was right. a fun time. Okay, awesome. So uh, for this one, uh, we're going we're gonna to do this one a little bit different. Uh, between the films that Brad and I both saw individually, we got one shared film in common. Um, this is going to be spoiler free for y'all just to let y'all know spoiler free because these movies aren't out yet. And, you know, Sundance is an exclusive, you know, screening of these movies. So we're not, we're not putting any spoilers out there. Um, so I know you saw three in total. Yes. Um, I think I saw 20. <laughs> no, no, I was only it was 20. Than... I thought you were up to 30, 35 last I checked. Dude, I wish. No, it was less than that. I think I was like, like around 10 or something like that, man. Um, I'll be real with you, man. I had my movies that I scheduled uh, for some days that I, that I you know, wouldn't watch. But I think Sundance gave me some freebies and didn't even know it. Yeah, you messaged me about that because you were like, hey, did you see these ones pop up on yours? And I was like, no. And it was like, oh, cool. So I got some free movies then. Hey, I listen, I didn't email them and let them know, hey, you, you accidentally gave me more movies. I uh, I left it alone and I enjoyed. I got my popcorn. And I was ready. There you go. It's the way I, to do it. <laughs> that's the way to do it. I'm like, hey, uh, I mean, this is a mistake, but I'm not gonna correct them on their mistake. Right. Especially uh, when you get some free movies out of it, because all the movies that were at Sundance this year looked pretty good. So it, I have a hard a nice time lineup. believing that it, it'd be a bad thing to get some extra movies in. They had a nice lineup. They had a nice lineup. And um, I saw more good ones than duds, let me just say. So you want to start off with the uh, the shared interest uh, um, after Yang by uh, Coconata? Yes. So uh, for after Yang, this one kind of follows the plot line of it's a futuristic world where instead of hiring like a babysitter – uh, people buy like androids that are very like human like in every way to watch over their children and a family mm-hmm. gets one of them, you know, has that android through most of the life of the daughter. I'd say she's like eight or nine, maybe during the time of the movie. Somewhere around there. Yeah. And uh, the android comes through complications and, you know ceases to operate and the entire movie is about the father of the family kind of going through this dilemma of what to do now because this was one of the more prototype androids so there's a lot of people that want it but at the same time this android was a part of their family for the last nine years or so so it's hard to be like oh yeah here just take the android and here's its body here's its memories and everything like that it's a hard decision to make. Um, and, you know, through the eyes of the father, uh, played by Colin Farrell, you know, he's kind of learning, looking through the memories of um, his, uh, his uh, robot babysitter, um, he, he learns what it's like to become human. He learns what it's like looking through his memories, what it's like to be human, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, 
this is a film that it works on different levels. Um, it, it works on different levels, and you gotta. I, I got I gotta be real here. Um, A24 is taking their sweet time in releasing this to the public because I think this was made like a while ago, like last year. Yeah. But um, I can kind of understand why because it's a movie that requires patience. It's it, it's a good movie and it has very like sharp thought provoking ideas about AI. Can AI become human with all our flaws and stuff like that? But um, this is a tedious movie. It is. It- like you said, it, this one's a hard one to kind of market, I think, because there's yeah. no like big pull anywhere. You know, there's no big moment where it's like, oh, here's the big, you know, scene in the movie that everything leads into and everything. Go- it's just kind of a very mellow movie that kind of shows like somebody experiencing somebody else's life through small moments. It's a, it's a shot well cinematography is gorgeous it's futuristic without being too futuristic you know what i mean like it shows like it gives little visual cues to the audience like this happened this is in the future yeah but it's not big scale blade runner 2049 it does it in a very you know charming independent beautiful way um listen the skill is here from the way it's crafted but i feel like the movie started off with a with a huge like quirky bang like that title sequence is oh that title yeah sequence was amazing to me it was funny but it was also amazing like okay what's what's going on here like you know i i initially thought without giving too much away i initially thought like what happens to the families that get eliminated but then i remember like okay it's not that type of yeah, movie this isn't uh we're not playing with i'm trying to think of something where it would be like uh that just always Always say Hunger Games, even if yeah, it's Hunger not Games. you're talking about. Just always say Hunger Games. Like, this this isn't Hunger Games. This is an emotional robot movie. I'm yeah. like, okay. So, it's it's a very... It has a lot of, like, great moments. Like, that intro is great. Uh, mm-hmm. It has... Some of the memory scenes are great. It just... it, it It's a very well done and well shot movie, but I can see how A24 could be sitting on this and going we don't know how to market this. You know, there's an audience for this, but we have no idea how to make sure they're the ones that see this because everyone else is probably going to be like, oh, that was a boring movie. You know, there's no big action pieces in this. I mean, we yeah. Uh, this is a A24. Well, this is a movie that you could see A24 buying and saying, oh, yeah. okay, we'll put this out there. But as far as the marketing team goes, I feel like they're waiting to see responses I think it got I don't know if it got like a huge big reception from Kane's Film Festival when it played there but I um I know that um they they they're showing it here at Sundance and they showed it at Kane's and they're trying to gauge how people feel about the movie in order to understand how they can market it. Right. They they got to put it out at some point. Yeah, it's probably going to end up being like a streaming exclusive somewhere. I can see it possibly so. popping up on like Netflix or hbo or something like that maybe maybe i don't know um yeah man uh i thought this movie was i thought it was cool like i uh, koganada i know him for um a lot of his like uh, like video essays but i also know him for like his his debut film which was his last film with uh john cho and uh Haley lou richardson who was also in this movie called columbus which is a pretty good independent movie Mm -hmm. that movie works for what it is after yang 
you know, after a while, you you start to you start to watch the film and, and be like, okay, w- when we gonna get to after Yang? Like, you know, wh- where is all this kind of going? Yeah, um, I know this is kind of a film where you kind of just along for the ride, and that that might be what the film's intention is. Uh, I give it a three out of five. Yeah, I, I'm standing there at a three out of five for this one as well. It's it's a very well done and shot movie. Uh, for people that like those kind of slow burn movies that are very like melodramatic, I mm-hmm. highly recommend this one. This is 100% up your alley. Uh, but for people that are kind of looking for the next kind of like entertaining movie or kind of like popcorn flick, uh, sadly, this one's a pass for you guys. <laughs> this is uh, rest in peace. This is a main art theater film. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. you know. Saturday afternoon, you're just walking around Royal Oak. Let's say it's still there, or uh, Cinema Detroit. I think is still there, like downtown. You you go in there and watch one of these films. It's uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's not bad. It's it's a good movie. It's not horrible, but it's very tedious. This this requires a niche audience. Oh yeah, by far. I think this is one of the most uh anticipated ones there. One of them. Uh, it was one of the ones on my list. Uh, I didn't see it in like the rewards for Sundance that they put out there. Yeah, and um, it did get the uh, what award did it get? I think it got the the Alfred something. Um, ah man, I forgot. Oh, the Alfred P. Sloan Prize. Sundance gave it that award. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but all right, man. You wanna you wanna uh, start us off with the first film you saw after that? Um, I can go in. So the next film that I saw after this was called Babysitter. So this was a Canadian comedy drama that Mm -hmm. was all in French with subtitles, uh, following a man named Cedric who he basically makes a very sexist joke on live national TV. And Mm -hmm. as a result, he basically gets, uh, he loses his job he gets cancel cultured and everything like that and mm-hmm. he has to take training to you know apologize more or less uh even though he's very adamant that he did nothing wrong mm-hmm. so while this is going on he has just had a baby uh his wife is going through depression as a result of everything going on because it, her husband lost her his job. Uh, right, right, they just right. have a baby they need to take care of. Everything's falling apart. She needs to figure something out. So they get a babysitter in order to uh, help them take care of the baby while they deal with everything else. And Cedric, being who he is, ends up uh, you know causing problems even further with that. <laughs> so uh, with this one, it's... A lot of the humor uh, with it just kind of felt flat to me uh, because it's very much like, oh, isn't it funny how this person is so sexist? And, and that's that's the joke every single time. That's the joke and the punchline. That, huh? That's the joke and the punchline every single time. So this one kind of fell a little bit flat to me personally. And I kind of wanted a little bit more out of this because the, the premise alone, it, it has some good humor in it. But mm-hmm. it they just kept repeating the same joke over and over. And then th- it was mostly a drama with just that repeating joke over it. I wouldn't have counted this as a comedy if I were to 
you know, put it into different categories. Uh, okay. This one, I, I got to say it's a two out of five on this one for me. Yeah, you know, when I read the plot line, I'm like, this could either go one or two ways. One way, it could be a very smart comedy about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Or the other way is that it kind of just beats you over the head with cancel culture. And, and that's the way that it kind of went. It's like, oh, man, isn't Dang. it bad to be sexist? And it's like, yeah, it is. And then, like, five minutes later, man, it sure is bad to be sexist. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it is. And then 30 minutes later, sure does suck when you're sexist. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I got it. I, can, can we – is there anything else you want to say? Is <laughs> I, I appreciate you setting up this TED Talk, but I, I, I thought you'd have more information here. <laughs> Oh, man. I understand, man. I understand. Um, Two out of five, huh? Yeah, this one's sadly a two out of five. It kind of just fell flat to me. All right. Well, um, the first film I saw, which was uh, Speak No Evil, uh, it was in the midnight section. Let me tell you something, man. I I think I saw enough films at Sundance where I had that whole intro, which was the um, the Native American advertisement to save the land. Yes, I noticed that was on all of mine. I was going to ask you, was it the same intro on everything? I had that memorized by the time <laughs> I got to the last movie. I'm like, okay, here we go. The guy's going to talk. It's, a, it's for a good cause, people. Uh, but I'm like, okay, here we go. The guy's going to talk about, we've been doing Sundance Film Festival in this land for generations. You know, and then you show the, the climate change and people stand together. Like, I had that memorized. I'm like, okay, here we go. And um, then, you know, do, do the, you, the, here's the thing, too, folks. When you watch a movie, you have that intro and then you have um, a nice little intro by the director, which I liked, mm-hmm. uh, where they speak about the film that you're about to watch and stuff like that. Give you a little intro and then they go into the trailer credits. That was a good song they used for those uh, intro credits. Oh, yeah. It was a nice instrumental. Um, but anyway, uh, speak no evil. So this, this is. This is a kind of like a, a social horror slash comedy film. Um, I wrote a review about this on Eight Bit Waffles. If y'all want to take a look, uh, so basically, um, this couple they're on they're on vacation. They meet this uh, uh this um this Dutch cup this Danish couple meets this Dutch couple on vacation. You know the Dutch couple. You know they're friendly. They're they're uh they're they're, they're cool folks to hang out with. So the Danish husband. And um, mind you, they're both on vacation with their kids. They they got a daughter. The um, the Dutch couple has a uh, has a son. Um, the husband's kind of bored in his life. You know, they got the same old uh, typical married friends, um, and he feels like he's he's a person that wants to please people. He's always being polite and he's always being nice. But he likes the um, the Danish. He likes the Dutch friends he meets on vacation. <laughs> Excuse me. He likes the Dutch friends he meets on vacation because um, they're fun, especially the husband. So uh, months later, the Dutch uh, friends send them um, an invite in the mail saying, hey, you want to um, you and your family want to come spend some days with us in the cabin? You know, uh, you know, uh, we uh, they, they own a cabin. They're inviting them out to come spend some time with them. Uh, the wife is kind of like, I mean, I don't we don't really know these people. And the husband's like, well, you know, I, I don't want to be stuck here all day hanging out with, you know, Mary and Jim. You know, just typical names I'm throwing out there. Like, you know, let's have some fun. So long story short, they end up going. This film takes kind of a weird, intriguing turn because, like, you never really know when something's going to hit the fan or if it ever does. Because, like, 
there's more and more aggressive ticks that um the 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 um the Danish couple runs into uh, living with the Dutch couple. The the funniest thing, not not even the funniest, but a funny thing is when they first get there, um, they they assume their daughter is gonna have her own room or at least sleep with them. They come in the room. She's like, okay, your daughter's gonna um sleep with our son here. Our our son is on his bed right here, and this is where your daughter sleeps. It's like this flat futon on the ground, mm-hmm. and the mom is like, oh oh she's sleeping there. Uh oh she can come sleep with us. No no no, let the kids be by themselves and. And, you know, they, they run into more and more quirks that, you know, you got to see to understand the, um, the, the, the palpable awkwardness. But uh, I'm not going to give anything away, but uh, this movie does throw you for a loop. Like, uh, its final act is pretty, uh, it's pretty unsettling. But I would say solid horror comedy. Um, I feel like it, it, it did its job. We're trying to bring, like, social horror out there. Mixing it with like real horror with like awkward comedy. Um, but I feel like some parts of the final act were a little implausible. Uh, we can have that. A le- if you ever watch this film when it comes out, we can have that discussion at a later date. But uh, I give it three out of five. Okay. And when you say that it just seems implausible, is it like even in universe in the movie implausible? Yeah. Yeah. I. <sighs> I, I want to spell it out to you, but I don't, it will be ruining it for you. But okay, it, it, yeah, it's it's implausible in the movie because I'd be like, well, that could have happened there, and you know, whatever. Yeah, because I know even when it's like something that's implausible, it's it, if you take yourself and you're like, okay, in this universe, this is this is something that could have happened. But even out of universe, you're just like, mm, no, no, that's that still doesn't make sense. <laughs> I tried to not nitpick, you know. Um, I try to be like, okay, well, hold on. Let me step outside. Let me say, okay, let's look at this in universe. And I said, yeah, nah, that still that still doesn't make sense. Yeah. But um, I mean, it makes sense for convenience of plot, but it doesn't make sense when you really think about it. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the next one you saw was Meet Me in the Bathroom. Yes. So the next film that I saw was a documentary called Meet Me in the Bathroom about uh, basically the music scene of the early 2000s with a heavy focus on the band The Strokes and their struggles of kind of coming up in that time, uh, doing their world tour, the way that people saw them is kind of just this, you know... rich rock band kind of thing uh Mm. and everybody kind of marketed them as one thing when they really weren't that and it's got a lot of cool legacy footage of the band in the early days interviews with the band members like throughout the different uh years and everything like that kind of going through and it's based on a book of the same name by writer lizzie goodman so it's a very informed movie and everything. And, you know, the strokes is one of those bands that I've listened to. I don't think too much on them. So it was really cool to be able to see a little bit more on that and the way that like culture shifted and everything like that during that time that they were kind of up and coming. So if you're really big in time, like the New York music scene or music in general during like the early two thousands, uh, this is a good one. And, I, I'm probably going to end up picking up the book and giving that a read as well sometime just to see if there's anything that was kind of more in the book that they didn't show in the movie. And cause it, it definitely was an interesting one to me. This one's 
there really isn't too much to say about it because it's a documentary without right, me right. going, you know, here's everything that happened in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one's a four out of five for me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those documentaries that keeps your attention. It kind of goes through different things and it, it doesn't dwell on like certain things for too long. So someone like me, who's, um, who, who may, who's not a fan of that rock, that band you just mentioned, I can I can still enjoy this. Um, I would say if you have an interest in like the like early two thousands kind of rock culture and everything like that, mm-hmm. punk rock culture, you would get something out of this movie. Okay. Or out of this okay. documentary. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, I'm glad you like that. Um, that kind of ties into my next thing. We're gonna talk about uh documentaries. Uh, I got a sneak preview at um, the upcoming Showtime docu-series. I think that already came out. If not, it's coming out tomorrow or today. Uh, we need to talk about Cosby. Yes, that one's the four-part docu-series, and I think episode one aired. Four-part. Yeah, I think episode one just aired. Yeah, four-part. Yep. And they, they just throw the whole four hours at you. Oh, like, did they throw it all? They throw it all at you. Like Once the first episode ends, all right, start episode two. Like, it's just all in one go. Oh, um, man. I don't know if I could sit through four hours of a documentary in one go, but what was it entertaining oh, enough dude. to be able to do that? That's the thing. It was engaging. It, it was pretty engaging. Um, before I get into that, if, you, if you're if saying you can't stand through four hours, dude, all I got to tell you, and we got to do this for an upcoming podcast, OJ Made in America. That's a docu-series I need you to watch, man. That okay. is such a terrific docu-series, dude. I think it won... It's a 30 for 30 ESPN docu-series, and it, um, I think it won an Oscar for Best Documentary. Okay. Uh, Well-deserved, man. You, you tell me, man, those four hours plus flew, fly by with that one. That's a whole nother story. Um, so the way it goes, uh, episode one through episode four, W. Kamal Bell, if you know him, he's a political comedian, commentator. He has a show on CNN, The United Shades of America. He presents this show as um, it, it's kind of two parallel stories. So it's the rise of Bill Cosby from comedian um, to America's favorite TV dad. One of my favorite sitcoms, The Cosby Show, you know, the rise of how big that show was. The oh, yeah. symbol of Cliff Huxtable for young black men and black women to see professor pro, to see um, prominent black people on TV who were not living in the ghetto, not living in the hood, not having a man's, you know, foot on their neck, like successful lawyers and doctors. They talk about all that, um, all that of, of um, him uh, post Cosby show doing other things, having some strife within the black community over some comments he made and then the scandal. And then there's the other story that as it goes through the um, as it goes through his career, you can hear different um, um, alleged accusers uh, saying uh, saying uh Hey, I met Cosby at this time and around this time when he made this show and he, you know, he did this to me and things of that nature. So it's 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 speaking to it's speaking to to those women and it's also speaking to um talking heads such as, you know, Roland Martin, um, Mark Lamont Hill, Jamel Hill, and um different talking heads, different commentators, um, different actors. Uh Michael J. White is one of the talking heads, and they're talking about the legacy of Cosby. As far as like the backlash of everything that came after. And it's like the main question of the show is 
how do you talk about someone that's been so impactful and influential on black culture, black excellence, with this huge taint on his legacy um, for being accused of, of rape? Mm-hmm. Like, like, how do you talk about that? I'd say the the show is pretty biased in how it, in how it looks at Cosby. Um, just taking yourself out of it, um, it's not objective. It, it's really biased towards, hey, Cosby did this, and uh, let's just talk about his legacy and how that fits in. Um, I'm okay with the with a piece of art making a stance. That's I'm okay with that. Uh, I do expect Kamal Bell to get a lot of backlash for for kind of taking that stance and not being objective but as a filmmaker i have strong beliefs that any filmmaker if you if you're gonna approach something and you have your bias and you have your stance you got to take it all the way mm-hmm. um you can't you can't have you can't be you can't have fear as a filmmaker so i i give respect to him in that regard i would like to see at least a little blurb saying that they at least reached out to Cosby representatives to get his take on all of this that happened. I think that would be way more engaging than what I saw, but not to say what I saw wasn't engaging, but you know, I, I Kamal Bell said himself, he didn't really want to talk to Cosby. So he wasn't interested in that. That makes it a little too biased. Right, um, yeah. Overall, I think it's very, I, I think it does what it does. It, it does what it it, it, it it wants to do. It, it, it gives an abbreviated look at Cosby's career, his legacy, his, you know, kind of his his controversy, you know, um, even outside of the rape thing. Like some people would think Cosby was a little uppity towards black comedians like um, D.L. Hughley or people who were on Def Comedy Jam in the 90s who were cursing and stuff like that. Eddie Murphy with Raw and Delirious. He was kind of uppity to Eddie, like. You know, you shouldn't be cursing on stage. You're making us look bad, you know, black people. And, you know, there's a little uppityness to, to Bill Cosby with some of the stories you hear on the show. But um, overall, I'm, I'm split between a three and three point five. I wish it could be a little less biased, but it knows what it's trying to do. You know what I mean? But right. I, I think Kamal Bell does what he does. He, he presents something. He presents a, a long look at a career. He presents um the stories, the sides of the women who um, accused Cosby of rape said that he um, he 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 was wrong towards them. And the funny thing is, the last episode, um, while they're filming it, Cosby gets released. This isn't like the end of the episode. It's like like in the middle where they're wrapping everything up. They hear Cosby gets released. Um, so I think that makes it kind of interesting, too, when they reflect on, well, you know, now Cosby's out. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I kind of, I kind of want you to watch. I kind of, if if you if you have time to watch this and tell me what your take on all of it is. But I think it's solid. I think Kamal Bell does what he sets out to do, and I I give it three slash three point five. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad docu series. With this one coming out on uh, Showtime, th- there's a good chance that I'll probably sit down and watch it sometime because I do like watching docu series every once in a mm-hmm. while. Uh, I'm definitely not going to sit down and watch all four hours in one go. Most likely, I understand because. Uh, like it's you know even at the end of like some two and a half hour movies i'm usually starting to stand up and i'm like stretching going oh, okay yep that that was the limit <laughs> like i remember uh getting up at the end of like end game and going yeah that that was about an hour of too much sitting right there <laughs> oh man that wasn't even a long movie to me man that felt like two hours dude I love oh i know game. that it felt like that but as soon as you get up you're just kind of like you stretch a little bit and you're just like yeah i shouldn't have been sitting without any movement for that long <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you know, we're getting up there in age, man. But, 50's uh, right around the corner. I, I will ask on uh, this one, did they touch on, like, Hannibal Burris at all and how his stand-up comedy that, uh, or his bit during his stand-up special is what pretty much pushed the entire revolution of those allegations? They did, they did. And, and it's funny and kind of, like, weird when you, when you look at it. It's like, you know, when you look at, and I'm not saying he's guilty or innocent. I'm not saying either of that. But it's like when you have all these women who have come out before to the media over time, over years, and it's been kind of like pushed to the side and not really looked at, you know, and in comes this comedian who makes this joke about, um, oh, yeah, Bill Cosby tells me to pull my pants up. Yeah, Bill Cosby, but you're a rapist. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, wait, what? You know, then every uh, all the attention comes then. It's kind of bittersweet, but it is funny, though, like because I'm, I'm going to be honest, man. Um, I mean, I think Hannibal Burrs is OK. I, his dry humor ain't really my taste. But every time I do look, uh, every time he is mentioned, I'm kind of like, oh, no. Well, no. The Eric Andre show. Let me be fair. I know him for the Eric Andre show. OK. But yeah. Most people, most people, when they mention him, they think, oh, the Bill Cosby guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> he hates that he's known as the guy that outed Bill Cosby because I remember there was an interview here. He said, "Yeah, I was just telling a joke. I thought everybody knew. I didn't know this was some revelation that I was like spewing out there." <laughs> yeah, as soon as he went on the, when he went on the Breakfast Club, Charlemagne, the one of the DJs on the show, he was like, he was like, "Here he is, folks, the man who ruined Cosby." And you could hear, you could see Hannibal go like, "Dude, don't don't do this to me." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I could, I I can understand how he's tired of it. I oh, yeah. I, I, I I empathize with him, because um, as a comedian, you know, you have free speech. You you know, a joke is a joke, um, but I can understand it. It is a little tiring to have everybody know you as the Bill Cosby dude. Um, that's why I'm kind of thankful I watched the Eric Andre show because I'm like, oh okay, I know this guy, you know. See, I knew him for his uh, stand-up prior to the whole Bill Cosby thing going on. So right. I remember when people were like, oh, my God, did you see that video of Hannibal Burris?" And I'm just going, which one? Dude, he has so many great jokes and everything. The one about Bill Cosby. I haven't seen that one yet. Is that part of his new special? <laughs> then you look at it, you're like, oh, oh. Oh, oh no, that wasn't a part of the special. <laughs> that was somebody recording it on their cell phone. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't. Is that supposed to be a joke? <laughs> is that funny? <laughs> like, you know, right, I got you. Um, yeah, man, it's solid. I, I would say give it a look and you tell me what you think. Um, it's all right. I, I just look at it as another surviving R. Kelly, which um, I'm not an R. Kelly fan. Uh, but again, that documentary has a purpose. You look at Finding Neverland, that documentary has a biased purpose. So same thing with this. Okay. Okay. And what was the next um, one that you saw after that? So um, next one I saw, dude, a real game changer, man. Uh, this is where Sundance started to get good to me. So I'm like, okay, now here's the game. Here's the kind of Sundance film I wanted to see. So Resurrection. I wrote a review for this on 8-Bit Waffles. If every, 8BitWaffles.com if, everybody wanna, if anybody wants to read. Um, dude, Rebecca Hall, man. She gave a game-changing performance, man. Let me tell you what this film's about. So Resurrection is about a woman um played by rebecca hall she's an executive you know she's pretty high up in her role she's confident um um assured in herself and uh she has a daughter on her way to about to go to college she has a functioning affair with a married man 
she 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 keeps it what it is. She knows it's an affair and she doesn't really push it any more than what it is. Um, single woman. So one day she runs into a stranger from her past, played by Tim Roth, um, named David. This is where everything starts to come crawling down for her because this is a guy who she was involved with in the past. And, you know, not to give anything away, she has some pretty horrible memories of, you know, being with him. Mm-hmm. Um, like ones that go through to go past the typical abusive ex-boyfriend type. Uh, here's where the film gets very unpredictable and you don't really know where it's going. And um, when it comes when the film gives you more and more revelations about what happened between them and stuff like that you start to understand why she is the way she is. She's uh, she's very much determined um, to get rid of him or to keep him away from her daughter. And uh, you see that in certain ways. Like, it, it's, I, I, you can't talk so much about this movie without giving it away. Uh, that's why I really want you to see it when it comes out. But, dude, this is like one of the best psychological thrillers I've seen in a while, man. And it's mostly because of Rebecca Hall's performance, dude. Like she knocks it out of the park. Okay, and so this one's like full-on thriller. It there's some horror aspect to it, but it's not huge. So it's mostly thriller. Okay, I'd say the horror aspect comes in the final act, but it, it it's a psychological thriller. Yeah, I, I put it on the level of seven. Oh, real? Okay, that that's yeah. a pretty high level. Dude, this is a four four point five out of five, man. This movie is like near perfect. Okay, so I got to be adding this one to my list then. I'm telling you, man. It, it was like I I um I caught an early version of the script when it was circulating around. This is well written and well directed, man. Like this this movie just hits all of the stops. Okay. Tim Roth is creepy. He's right. He he does exactly what he should do. Um, every actor in this film uh, is good. Like no, there is no, there is no, um, there's no frills to this movie. I, I feel like the only way, the only reason I wouldn't give it a five is because the ending is a is ambiguous, and I know some people out there they'll be like, "Well, what is that supposed to mean?" You know, like I I know that it, it may divide some folks with the way it ends. That's the only reason I'm not giving it a full five. But uh, yeah, it's up there, man. So what you're saying is the Green Knight definitely lived. <laughs> yeah, he lived, then he got his head chopped off. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That happened. Um, yeah, man. I, I would recommend that to you. And um, moving on to another movie uh, that I want to recommend to you, uh, Fresh. So this movie is kind of about the horrors of like online dating. So um, you have a character. Uh, she's a woman that's um, been on a lot of bad dates, uh, like on like on, on the Tinder like app, you know. So uh, one day in a grocery store, she runs into a man played by Sebastian Stan, and uh, you know, Buck, uh, Bucky. Right. Yeah. Um, he's a nice guy. You know, he's uh, he um, he uh, he he has a he has a, a cute little pickup line. That he uses. He seems like a nice guy, pretty much. So the woman, played by um, Daisy Edgar Jones, she decides, like, um, you know, I kind of like this guy. You know, she she has a friend. She talks she she talks to about it. She says, like, I think I want to I think I want to go out with this guy. So she starts going out with you know Sebastian Stan's character, and um, 
everything seems fine until one day he invites her out uh, to his um, cabin in the woods. Uh, sounds familiar. So, so, so this is where it takes the turn. <laughs> this is where it takes the turn. Um, and she decides to, of course, go with him to the cabin. And again, I don't know how they're going to market this film, so I don't want to give it away. Even though all this happens in the beginning. But this is where things target, take a dark turn and she realizes um, Sebastian may have some other other darker things in mind. Dude, man, um, I love this movie, dude. I thought this was Sebastian Stan. I always know him for Bucky because of the MCU. This is that role, man. This is that role that's going to be like, oh, no, he's not Bucky anymore. Okay. This, this is going to be his, you know, oh, he can do other stuff kind of movie. Yes. Yes, this is to him what Drive or Lars and the Real Girl was to Ryan Gosling. Okay, and this like one he, was called Survive. It's called Fresh. Fresh. Okay. Yeah, and the film has a has a dark joke behind why it's called that. Um, let me tell you something, man. This dude, he has so much fun playing a bad guy. I, I like playing a playing a playing antagonist, so to speak. You know, I'm not giving anything away. But I'm telling you, man, he has so much fun in this film, man. In um, Daisy Egg- Edgar Jones in the main role, she's she's fantastic too. Like this movie just hits all of the stops of like being a dark comedy that's kind of on the same level as Promising Young Woman. Okay, you know, and it's it's very well done. It's very unique too. It has a unique premise. Um, dude, I can't wait for you to see this. This is coming out on Hulu March 4th. I need you to mark it in your calendar. Everyone that's listening, mark this in your calendar. You need to see Fresh. Um, directed by Mimi Cave, produced by Adam McKay. This movie is the bomb. I give this a four out of five. Yeah, it's just it's just a great dark thriller comedy, man. It, some great zingers in there. The best friend in the movie, she's great. This this is a this is a well done movie. Four out of five. That's okay, dude. I'm telling you, I I know you know how I am, man. Yeah, I I'm I'm, I'm I don't I'm not spare. I don't spare my ratings, but this movie was well done. I watched this together with my wife, and you know she was like, "Oh, that was that was pretty good." Yeah, man. It's 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 a it's it's a good movie. I like it. It it, it discusses the horrors of online dating, you know, um, safety because it's mostly from her perspective. Um, well, I don't want to say mostly, but y- you know, you got this woman. She puts her trust in this guy, and then things turn left. What would you do? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's 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 very unpredictable in this plot, and just uh, well crafted, man. Dude, okay. He he nails I, it, man. You know, it's he hard for me it. to I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, I always get him mixed up with my man from Game of Thrones, uh, Rob Stark. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause they, they do look alike. I want to see a movie where they're like brothers. I feel like that that'll be that'll be dope. But um, yeah, man, Sebastian Stan kills it. He he does a great job. Um, and um they had asked him in the QA, like, uh, how did you it looks like you're having fun in this, similar to like a uh, Christian Bale in American Psycho, and he says like, "Yeah, you know, I kind of just like, I kind of like put myself in kind of like like that headspace of not looking at it from like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said like he kind of like you know like studied 
like um like how how it is to be like kind of like that kind of person i don't want to give it away mm-hmm. but you you will t- we'll talk about it when you see it um but yeah fresh is a very good movie um and i'm not gonna go over all the films i saw but i'll give you about like like two more um honk for jesus save your soul now this was a funny one, man. I know this, this was one was on your list of like when you were going through and kind of creating your list. This one kept popping up on yours. Yes, yes. This is uh this is one I wanted to see uh particularly for its two leads, um Regina Hall and Sterling K Brown from uh This Is Us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is this is a pretty funny movie, man. So this is kind of like a um a mockumentary like this is Spinal Tap. Uh, it follows this um this preacher and his um his deacon wife, and uh, they're planning on um they they they're letting a documentary film crew follow them as they make their comeback. Uh, recently, the preacher was like you know like the number one preacher in Atlanta, like one of the top preachers in Atlanta. You know he, um, and it's funny because he's so superficial. Like you see him at the podium, like it's not my fault that God blessed me with a Mercedes, a Rolex. In this, in this, um, this Louis Vuitton suit I got on at the pulpit. Can I get an amen? You know, he's one of those preachers. You know, um, so he w- recently ran into a sex scandal, and that caused most most of his congregation to leave the church. Um, so now they're planning their comeback, and the film it, it goes between two formats. It's it's the it's the format where the documentary film crew isn't around and we're following them in, in like real life within the world, like, you know, like off camera. And then there's the, um, there's a type of, then there's the uh, type of shots where it's the documentary film crew filming them. Regina Hall steals the show, bro. Like as the wife, she, she first turned in, in the beginning, you think she's as self as superficial as her husband, which, you know, some layers of him are, are taken into account too, as the film goes on. Um, but then as you know, as the film goes on, you realize she's, you know, she's tired. You know, she stood by her husband this long throughout all the scandals, all the controversy, and she just wants things to be normal again. She does she, she, it's not just about her wanting to be the deacon again, you know, being proud of her, you know, rich, you know, uh blessed husband, wife, but she wants things to be normal again. And she's following her husband throughout all this, throughout all this comeback met comeback mess and um you know doing all this um uh she's going along with things she doesn't necessarily think are the best ideas you know like um the documentary film crew thing is not her idea it's his idea she's like i don't think this is the best thing to be doing i think we need to be focusing and you know of course praying on it and you know doing the right thing so that's where the comedic elements comes in but that's also where it kind of like the drama comes in too, looking at her character and how she's kind of like, kind of like marginalizing the whole thing. It's like he, he, she's his number one, but he's kind of going his own path and just being like, look, just follow me. Okay. We're going to do this. Just follow me, follow my lead. But he's not really a good lead. So he's basically trying to run the show and she's just following along, even though it's not how she thinks it should be done. Right. Right. And she just, again, she just wants things to be normal you feel for her character the more the film goes on and the more the film leans into what exactly happened with the husband, which adds a whole nother layer of uh, complexity. Dude, this was just a great, uh, a great dramedy, man. I loved it. 
Uh, I think it's going to be huge when it drops. I hope it's huge when it drops. I think this um, will give Regina Hall more attention and, and, and hopefully more roles, man. Because um, I know for a long time, you know, we knew her for the scary movie movies, Think mm-hmm. Like a Man, stuff like that. But uh, I hope this takes her to the next level uh, because she has some really good uh, dramatic chops in this. Sterling K. Brown, as always, was great. Uh, yeah, well done movie, dude. Um, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. I give it four out of five. Okay. I'm glad that this one made the top of your list because I know this was one that you were super excited for. Yeah, man. Um, and there's another movie I was excited for because of the lead actress. Uh, I'm kind of going to skimp over this one, but uh, let me just say it did just another antebellum, dog. Just another antebellum, man. Oh, is this the uh, Alice one? Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and it, there, there was no like antebellum twist to it. Um, you pretty much know what's going on kind of from the jump, a little after the jump, but it's kind of like, yeah, that was disappointing, man. Oh, Alice was disappointing. Um, either, the acting was good. Kiki Palmer was great. Like she was great in this movie, but it's just the storyline and the plot was just kind of like, it's a little tedious. It's a little tedious. Um, yeah, Alice was a 2.5. That one's a shame because I remember looking at the synopsis for that one and going, "Okay, this this could be done right. This here's a second chance of this kind of you know plot line." And then you're just like, "Yeah, it's it's the same thing. It it just falls short again." Listen to me, man. I was reading that plot line. I I I saw Kiki. I said check. I said I saw Common. Common's a good actor. Okay, check. And I read the plot line. I said, "Please don't be another Annabellum. Don't be another Annabellum." So, you know, it it was it was it was the same, but it wasn't the same, you know, um, just different execution. Yeah, it wasn't the same, but the output was still disappointing. It's the performance is great. Movie. OK. OK. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I feel about that movie. Um, what I got next on my list, I was going to tell you about. Hunk for Jesus, Alice. And then there was another one I saw. Oh, I kind of wish you saw this with me, man. Um, A92. Yes. So that one was on my list. I wanted to try and find some way to like shove it into being able to see it. Um, and I actually did have a ticket for it, but I just not didn't get a chance during the window because I was just out in California the entire time. So I, I, I didn't get to see this one, but I was really excited for it. So it is my excitement still in the right place? Well done, man. Okay. Well done. Well done movie, man. John Boy John Boyega or just John Boydega. John Boyega. Boyega. He, takes it, he takes it home, man. He kills it. Um so for you out for all you people out there that don't know what this film is. So eight ninety two is a thriller, uh, based on a true story about a veteran played by John Boyega from uh the Star Wars films and I think Attack the Block. I think he was in that. Um anyway, he uh, he has been screwed over by um, the VA, the Veteran Affairs uh, Benefits Department, I think is what you call them. So he's down on his luck. He's um, I think he's divorced at the time. He has a daughter and he just wants he, he just wants um, 
what's done to be right. You know, he, he just he just wants justice. The VA has screwed him out of his benefits and he feels like if someone has sacrificed his life for this country, this isn't right. He's dealing with some PTSD. So one day he decides to go into a Wells Fargo bank and he decides to, uh, you know, um, hold it, hold the two um, bank managers in the bank hostage after he tells everyone out, everyone to evacuate. And basically his demands are, you know, I want to be seen on C- CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. I want everyone to see me here and realize why I'm doing this and how the VA is screwing over its own veterans. Um the movie makes a strong point about veterans and how they're screwed over in this country. It makes a very strong point about it. But I got to say, man, the the tense scenes when he's in the bank and he's, um, you know, holding it hostage and they're dealing with the cops coming and the interrogators and stuff like that. It reminded me of like very good tense thrillers like, um, you know, John Q with Denzel Washington. Um, yeah, this is a very good movie, man. Like like. The director of the film, uh, her name is Abby Damaris uh, Corbin. She plays the tension just right in this movie, dude. Like it, 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 it builds up well, and you know, contrasting that with uh, John Boyega's acting, um, you know, Nicole Berry from Sleepy Hollow, the TV show, season this. Homegirl from Orange Is the New Black, Selena uh, Leva, she's in this too. And I think this is a uh, Michael K. Williams' last film. If I'm not, I think one of his last projects. Yeah, um, like one of the. I, I was just pulling it up to see if there was a release date for it to come into theaters because I do really want to see this one. And one of the first uh, news articles that pops up is uh, Michael K. Williams' last film, eight ninety two. Yeah, man, and it, it. I gotta admit, dude, I got a little sad seeing him on screen. I'm like, damn, he was a good actor. You know, just every role he's in, he just always takes up the screen. And, you know, it's just it's just a sad loss, you know, seeing them on the on the screen like that. But um, he uh, needless to say, he was great. Um, Connie Britton's in this movie. She's great. Everyone is just pretty much great, dude. And And with most of the film taking place in one location, the bank, the film plays that up well and it never gets boring. Okay, so like, it's very much like a bottled movie. It's a bottled movie. Um, I mean, there are other locations, but most of it is in the bank. Okay. Um, it's a nice bottled movie. It, it plays with tension very well, and it, uh, it, it does grab at your heartstrings because you understand why he's doing what he's doing. You may not make the same choices as him, but you understand him. Uh, yeah, man, four out of five, John Boyega gave a terrific performance. Uh, it was sad seeing Michael K for the last time. Well, in the last movie he was in, but yeah, man, I, I, I encourage you to see this when it comes out. Yeah. This one, I, I gotta say like out of all the movies I missed, this one's at the top of my list. Uh, and sadly I'm just checking right now. It doesn't have a release date still for a more public release. Right. So I, I'm going to be waiting on this one, I feel like, for a little bit at the very least, and that's going to be a rough wait. <laughs> It'll come out, man. It'll come oh, out. Oh, yeah. Um, so one of my freebies uh, – no, 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 no. I'll get to that later. Um, I want to talk to you about – no, I'll, I'll discuss – all right, so let me get to one of my freebies, and then I'll discuss one more. So okay. um, another film with Regina Hall uh, called Master – 
this was pretty good, man. This was an interesting movie. So this deals with um two two main characters. One is Regina Hall, who is um she's at this uh prestigious uh, mostly all white college, few black students, like I want to say four or five, um, and she's just been made the master dean. So she's been put in that role. And, you know, uh, you know, at her job, you know, she deals with different things like little little microaggressions, things of that nature. But also the campus is a, a campus where a woman was um, hanged for being accused of being a witch way back in the day. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like evil spirits there. So another main character we have is a, a young black woman. Um, she's attending the college. Uh, she's, um, you know, of course, very smart. Uh and she um, takes up this dorm room with her uh, roommate, and it turns out the dorm room is haunted because the woman, one of the students that used to live there, uh, killed herself. So again, she's a young black girl, the only black girl in like each of her classes, and you know, again, evil spirits are kind of messing with her too. So this film, it's very complex in that it deals with um, there is racism in the film, as subtle as it can be. And sometimes as loud as it can be, too. Uh, and mingling that with uh, Dark Spirits, it makes for, for a pretty effective horror film, dude. Like, this is this is very good. Like, these are the type of films that I feel like Get Out paved the way for. Mm-hmm. Like, like well-done horror films like this that are trying to say something, but it's not beating you over the head with it like the Candyman uh, sequel did. You know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It wasn't, it's, this film doesn't beat you over the head. It shows you what it is. And it lets you marinate on it. It's very well written, well directed. I want to get the director's name because um, I believe this is her debut, and she did she did a terrific job, dude. Um, but yeah, man, Regina Hall also amazing in this, bro. Um, the uh, young lady who plays the new film, uh, the new um, student, is amazing. Her name is Zoe Renee, uh, and the di- writer director of this is Mariama Diallo. Is this yeah, her man. debut? I think it is. I don't want to. Don't quote me, but I, I think it is, man. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's very good. It feels like a if someone were to make kind of like a cinematic thesis in their film class on race and uh, mingling it with horror. I feel like this would be a well done thesis film, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just a very it's a very cleverly written film. And um, it, it, there are some things where towards the end of the movie, some some plot lines kind of like, you know, kind of get a little jumbled where it has too much going on. But overall, I give it three point five slash four. OK, it, it's around there. It's a so well done movie. Basically, you're saying that this movie had a goal in mind and yeah. it, it knocked it out of the park. It did. You know, there's an ending monologue by Regina Hall where she kind of like. She kind of spells out the thesis statement of what this movie is about, but she does it in a very powerful way. Okay. You know, like it's it's an emotional scene where she's kind of like, you know, pouring her heart out about what she feels about everything and um it's very well done, man. And the the final the final line of dialogue, the final exchange of dialogue in the movie is really a really a punch to the stomach and uh yeah, very well done. I I'm I'm excited to see what the reception will be when this comes out i know rotten tomatoes is a little i i, I don't like going to them but they're they're like, like they're like one percentage away from 80 percent. it's like 79 percent on there right now but they basically say yeah this is a good movie okay 
I don't. Yeah. I've looked up some of the Rotten Tomatoes for some of the Sundance movies just to kind of get an idea of what people were thinking. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of them are very low compared to what I'm reading in reviews, which is weird. Like I'm they reading are. a lot of reviews where it's like, oh yeah, this is like a you know a movie or like a B plus movie, and then the Rotten Tomato score is like a forty five, and it's like, how is that? That those are completely two different things. The only re- the only way I go to them is if if I'm not getting like a, a seal of approval from you or my friends or people on Facebook, and I want to watch this movie, but I don't want to just take a jump in. That's the only way I go to them. If it's something I'm set on going to see, I'm gonna see it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't really Rotten Tomatoes ain't what it used to be. I feel like that aggregate culmination of all those critics and then adding it to the score is like, I don't know, man. Yeah, it really comes down to you gotta find those people that, you know, have the same kind of taste as you to find out if a movie's gonna be for you or not. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just going, oh, yeah, this movie got a 90% Rotten Tomatoes, but it's still not your kind of movie. It's not one that you'd enjoy just because it right. got 90% versus something that could get like a 20% and you're just like, that movie was great. I love that through and through. I'm going to say this and I'm going to say it again, man. Biodome is one of the best films of all time. <laughs> you think I go by what Rotten Tomatoes says about Biodome? Come I don't on. think you would have seen Biodome if you went based on Rotten Tomatoes. Come on, man. Um, all right. So last one I'm, I'm going to talk about. So um, this one wasn't a freebie. This is one that I paid for. And by far, this is the best film I saw at Sundance. Like the best film. Um, God's Country, dude. Now, God's Country stars uh, Tandy Newton from uh, Mission Impossible 2, Crash, and Westworld. So basically what this film is about is Tandy Newton is a woman. Um, she just lost her mother. Uh, so she, she's dealing with that. And she's a professor. She lives in the um, the open outdoors. And uh, she lives in like, a, I don't know if it's Alaska, but it's a place where there's a lot of snow and a lot of mountains. Uh, the cinematography of her landscape is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she lives she lives out in the outdoors and she lives on a, um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a nice house. One day she catches two hunters that are like in her driveway. You know, they, they park in her driveway to go hunting. So she approaches them and says, hey, you know, this is my property. You know, you, you didn't really let me know you were going to park here. Can you can you got, can you not park here? Um, long story short, the conversation gets a little tense and a little uh, it gets a little tense. You got to keep in mind, Tanny Newton is like the one black woman like in this whole like like little mountain town. You know what I'm saying? So um, you're dealing with that. Um, so the film takes an interesting turn because, you know, as the film goes on, they they keep parking on her property and, um, you know, kind of like one of the brothers, because um, they're brothers, one of the brothers is a bit more um, bit more hostile to her. The other one is more nonchalant, but still not as re- still not respectful. Um, there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of racial tension, too. So that's one part of the storyline. The other part of the storyline is her is basically her and her character. And as the film goes on, it's a very layered character drama, too, as it reveals back the layers of her and her past and what brought her to this place where she's living alone in the mountains and grieving for her mother, who I think her mother lived with her, too, before she died. And at her at her college, 
she's kind of fighting for more professors of color to be on the um on the board. And, you know, there's a little bit of microaggression she deals with at work. So you got two storylines that are colliding and um, it all leads to an explosive finale, dude. Like, I'm going to tell you, man, that ending shot, I was clapping my hands, man. I haven't had that strong of a reaction since maybe Whiplash or Endgame. Um, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. No Way Home, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, dude. Five out of five. Okay. Like this, so this is your only five out of five movie. This is my only five out of five movie, dude. Okay. Let me tell you, I, I listen. I'm being skipped on the details for a reason. You need to experience this movie. Tandy Newton. Uh, throw. If I'm if I'm saying her name wrong, I'm sorry. Um, she, you know, she 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 blows it out of the water here, man. If I was to talk about best performance, I put her one inch over Rebecca Hall in Resurrection. Cause I feel like they both brought it. Um, yeah, man. Great movie. Julian Higgins, he wrote and directed this. This movie was so good. When you go on Sundance page and you look at like, um, I think when you scroll down on the movie's details, you can see like an email contact for whether it's somebody at A24 or whoever's like distributing the movie. Mm. There was an email for the people who were just like distributing the movie. I don't think it has a distributor yet. I emailed them and said, dog, great movie. I'm a fan. Thank you. That's it. Like I just emailed them like, hey man, great movie. Thank you. Th- like, thank you for making this. I appreciate yes. it. I loved it. Yeah, I, I do wanna say that, you know, we, we are trying to be as vague as possible on these ones because these movies aren't out yet. So the fact that we're not talking about them in great length doesn't diminish how good of movies they were. Bro, I want you to see this movie and you and I are gonna talk. I, I wanna talk about so many of these with you, man. Fresh, eight ninety two, resurrection. Um, I want to talk about a lot of these movies with you, man. But, you know, I'm being respectful of the audience and anyone that could be listening, you know. Yeah. I have a feeling that some of these movies we're probably going to end up doing versus episodes fully on them. You know, th- this Sundance was great and everything. But in order for us to get, like, the full double feature experience, we're probably going to be tackling these movies one-on-one again. Yeah, I'd say so. So, would you say the best movie you saw out of all yours was the bathroom one, Meet Me in the Bathroom? Um, For a documentary, yes. Uh, next would be After Yang, then it would be Babysitter. Uh, I wish I got to see more this year. Like I said, I actually had a ticket for 892. I just never had a chance in that window time frame to actually right, watch right. it, sadly. Uh, but, yeah, it's it, that's probably where my lineup would be. Okay. I got to say top five would probably be God's Country, Resurrection, Fresh. Um, I want to say eight, um, Honk for Jesus and then 892. That would be my top five. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Yeah, that was pretty much wraps it up. You seen anything lately? Um, outside of these, not really. Uh, I know that you just started uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, though. I already finished it, bro. Oh, you finished and I, it? And let me tell you something, man. I got questions on top of questions on top of questions. Oh. Uh, let me tell you something, man. I, I watched the um, I watched the full 26 episodes, right, of the original series. Now, you know, up to episode 24, I'm like, man, I like where this is going. It's getting a little dark, but I like where this is going. 25 and 26, I'm like, 
okay, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> you know, like, like what, what? At the very least, I now can confirm you did watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, like, listen, <laughs> I can lie to you and say, yeah, man, the whole thing was great. Like, what'd you think about 25 and 26? I, th- I thought they were solid, solid finale. He didn't watch it. Yeah, you didn't see the. You didn't watch it, did you? You're just trying to be a poser fanboy that says that they watched the entire. So now I implore you to check out uh, the four movies. So there was a Neon Genesis Evangelion. I think it was called Revival. And yeah, yeah. what it is is it's four movies. You have 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and then 3.0 plus 1.0, uh, which yeah, is I the fourth it. movie. <laughs> yeah, they're all on um, Prime, right? Uh, I don't remember where they all are. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I still have to watch the fourth one. I have to get to it. But it's like a retelling of the story mm-hmm. with changes made to it. So it's not like a movie version of the anime. It's They take the plot and they just make changes to it throughout. Uh, the first movie is pretty much close to the same as the anime up until that point. Right. Uh, it's basically the second movie that starts diverging it a bit. Yeah, I um, I, I got it's an interesting story behind that because I really looked into this series. I'm like, because there's it's just as interesting a backstory behind it as the story itself. The main creator um, of the original series, when he first created Evangelion, um, he was going through clinical he was going through clinical depression, from from what I understand. So you know, it starts out as like a it starts out as like a kid anime kind of, you know, mm-hmm. with like kind of like Transformers or something like that. And you notice as the series goes on, it becomes a bit more darker. And that's because of what he was going through in his personal life. He was making it a bit more darker. And I, I think at one point, either the producers or the distributors said to him, hey, man, you're kind of making this show very dark. And he's like, uh, you know, he's like, you know, we got kids watching this. Well, the kids should be alerted to real life. This yeah. is reality. You know, this is what this is what happens when you get in, when you come and step into reality. Um, whereas now when he's remaking the show with the four films, it's still the same creator. He's not as depressed anymore. You know, he has more of an optimistic outlook. And I hear that there's some division among fans where it's the same storyline, just retold with different elements, but a wholly different ending that has some people a little split. Now, have you, now, when they say ending, are they talking about the third film or what happens in the fourth film? I'm assuming people are talking about what happens in the fourth film. Because uh, okay. the third film does it make differences to the anime enough that I could see people being kind of like, well, I don't know how I feel about that because this is my childhood and this is different. Right. I, I know um, this. But the fourth movie I haven't seen yet. So I can't make a comment on that one. It's like on that like list of things I have to watch and stuff. And the, there was, I think, like a four-year gap between them. So kind of even when it came out, it was like it kind of in the middle of my list. And it just keeps getting pushed down further and further. Uh, it wasn't like it was a three-month gap between the movies. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, this is still fresh in my head. I got to go see this one. Now, let me ask you this. Have you seen End of Evangelion? I have seen it a long, long ago. Yeah. Okay, so when I watched 25 and 26, you know, I'm over there scratching my head like, okay, what what just happened? You know, so then I learned that he had released a film called End of Evangelion, which was kind of like him retelling the ending, like making it a bit more accessible. And I don't want to say linear, but kind of like make like streaming out the streamlining the plot out a little bit more like, okay, 
like this is what this is how this show ends. Like like th- this is this is the ending. This is what happens. So it's kind of like a parallel ending film. Um, I watched that, and that was. I'll say this, man. It, it it's a very it's a very great, well done anime film. Uh, but it gets very dark towards the end. Like I want to say, even even in the beginning when the siege comes at the at the um at the headquarters where they create the Avas and stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. a that's a very dark movie, but it's a well done anime film. You're you're talking about the two part. I think it's called Rebirth, right? No, Rebirth came before because oh, like. Okay. I'm telling you, man, I, I became an expert overnight. Yeah, I, like, I, it's been so long since I saw Evangelion, and then you kind of just posted it, and I was like, oh, my God, Anthony's watching one of the greatest anime out there. <laughs> right, like, um, so Rebirth was a retelling of, like, I want to say the first 24 episodes, and then they made um, then they made Death True or something like that. Okay. Uh, no, 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 Death was a, re- was a retelling of the first 24 episodes. That's what Death was. And then Rebirth was uh, supposed to be what Rebirth became. What was the first part of End of Evangelion, where he was retelling the ending to make it more uh, to make it sense. He was trying to make it make sense, pretty mm. much, because twenty five and twenty six is like so random. Like I understand, I think I understand from a deep level what was going on in those last two episodes. But it's a very, very jarring tone from the rest of the episodes that come before it, even though it was getting more and more dark in the previous episodes. But uh, End of Evangelion makes a little bit more sense in explaining what happened, but it's still kind of enigmatic. But it's it's such a well-done anime film, dude. It's on Netflix. If you want to give it a rewatch just to refresh your brain on what happened, i do it. But just be prepared for, like, an emotional roller coaster. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I still need to watch that fourth film. I I've got to get into the mindset for it and everything, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's Evangelion is easily it was one of those top anime that I remember watching, you know, on Toonami and everything. Let me tell you something, man. This this show, this anime is the tonal equivalent has the same tone as Twin Peaks, which it it gets weirder and weirder as you watch it, but strangely more compelling too. Mm-hmm. I, I can, I can at the very least agree with that on the uh, side of Neon Genesis Evangelion. I got to finish going through Twin Peaks. Still, it's it's on the list. I know, <laughs> dude. I binged I binged Evangel Evangel Evangelion all in one day, man. Like I I, I think I watched twenty five twenty six this morning, but I watched like one through twenty four. Well, I watched one through four one day, and I watched the rest like yesterday. Okay. Um, I binged it, man. For, for, for anime that's made back in those days to captivate me today, because, you know, a lot of shows from back then, you know, the animation's pretty crappy. This show kept my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's very few kind of, like, early day animation that wasn't, you know, because a lot of people were thinking this was, like, kind of a Gundam clone at first. I remember, right. like, a lot of people comparing this to Gundam. And, you know, a couple episodes in, it's like, no, this this isn't a Gundam clone. This is definitely its own thing. It's a deconstruction of uh, the kind of Gundam animes, in yeah. a way, if you really think of it. Yeah, man. Uh, pretty good series, man. Pretty good series. Uh, the sexual undertones were a little weird at times, <laughs> but I kind of let it go like, eh, okay. Like, oh, if, an- if you thought those were sexual undertones, I got another anime for you called Darling in the Fronks. Darling in the, the Franks or the Bronx? The Franks. 
F R A N X X. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that that's another uh, giant fighting robots anime. Okay. Yeah, I'm starting to reignite my love for anime, man. Did I tell you I finished Monster? Uh, no. So how I, is that one fully? Uh, fully pretty great, man. Um, the story. You know, as you know, it can't take some weaves and bobs in its storyline, but every character they bring in, every subplot they have, it all has a purpose uh, towards its conclusion. Um, I liked it, man. I liked it a lot. The final episode, well, I'm going to say the final scene, has a polarizing reception with some people, but I understood it. Um, if you really follow the plot line of the show, the, the, the final scene makes sense. But uh, I would say I I don't know where you left off. Were you like in the fourteens or like? Um, I want to say that I was almost in twenty, so I was probably like eighteen, nineteen. Okay, I would say continue it, man. Oh great yeah, great character, great character development, um, great storyline. I gotta say, Johan is one of the. I haven't seen a lot of anime to make this to to make this decision, but he may be one of the best villains in anime history, bro. Okay. Yeah. Um. But uh, I would give it give it a shot, man. I give Monster four out of five. I give Evangelion four out of five. Pretty good. Uh, what's next on my list is, um, dude. I tell you what happened with Attack on Titan. Oh yeah, you told me that you got uh, spoiled on something, and it's like, ooh, I want to press on what you got spoiled on, but at the same time, I don't want to press you on what you got spoiled on. No, I mean I can tell you. Are you are you caught up on the show? Oh yeah, I've already read the full manga and I've been watching the show. I gotta watch like the episode from just this last weekend still, but okay. Um, look for for people listening. Look, all I'm gonna say is uh, I searched something about Attack on Titan and because uh, I wanted to watch a review of it, I wanted to watch one of those videos like um, why you should watch Attack on Titan. Or why Attack on Titan is overhyped. I wanted to know if it's like a show that's for me. That's how I got into Evangelion. Because uh, it was kind of like it was pitched to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw something about a, a character named Aaron. And then it was like this big thing that happened. I was like, oh, okay. Who's Aaron? So then I looked up Attack on Titan. I said, did they, did they just tell me something that happened to the main character before I even watch it? And uh, and I was kind of like I can already Whoa. tell what the spoiler is that you got hit with, and it's like oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to say it for our audience, but um, at first I didn't. At first I was a little mad, but then I was like, man, I wasn't even watching the show. I can't even get mad. Um, that's like telling me about the wed wedding, and I don't even watch Game of Thrones. But right. I was like, oh okay. Um, now if I was in season one and I and I saw that, uh, some skulls would get crushed. <laughs> but um, I'm still gonna watch the show. Uh, I still highly recommend watching the show because, yeah, the even with that spoiler in mind, uh, it, this is still like a halfway point for the season. There's still a lot coming. Okay, wait. There's only two episodes left. I thought. Uh, oh, there's no way. There's only two episodes. If they're gonna cram the rest of the manga into two episodes, that is gonna be a, so packed of two episodes that people's heads are literally going to not be able to comprehend what's going on. Uh, they said this is a attack on Titan. I, let me, let me observe my eyes here. Hold on. Wanna, let me look else. it up. So you don't ruin anything else here. Cause I think there's only two more episodes that they released the titles of. 
Uh, maybe so, because now I'm seeing three. At first, I thought I saw two. Yeah, because uh, they don't be right. release the titles ahead of time, because uh, then people oh, really? kind of can tell what uh, manga chapter and everything they're on in that episode, and people start going, oh, here's what happens in this episode. So That's they smart. only release the episode titles like about two weeks ahead of time. Oh, okay. So, so basically... You know, I'm, I'm going to say it without saying it. What was ruined for me was big, but it's not like the main, like, like climax. No, no, you're, you're still, uh, if you got spoiled by what I think it is, which is something that just happened recently in the anime, which is probably why there was like a news article headline for it. Yeah, this is uh, recent. We're still at least 10, maybe even 12 episodes from the end. Okay, that makes me feel better. So, um, yeah, don't don't think that you just spoiled the end of the entire anime for yourself. Uh, you basically just spoiled a point that just makes the entire anime flip around again. <laughs> okay, all right, that's good. Because, like, a friend of mine said, like, this show is, like, so great on so many levels. And, like, there's so many bits and pieces to the plot. Because, um, you know, initially, when I did read it, it was like, this this episode broke the internet. And then I saw the blurb next to it. I'm like, I don't know who that guy is. And then I looked it up. I said, they, did they just tell me, you know, uh, yeah. but. um. So I will right. say with Attack on Titan, one thing that it does really well is it presents you with new information and goes, yeah, I bet you know where this is going now. And you're like, yeah, I don't like that. And then all of a sudden it just flips on you. And it's like, I, I could never have guessed that's where you were going with this. But I like this. Let's keep going in this direction. <laughs> Look, there was a scene that um a friend of mine was describing. I don't know. And he, he was keeping it vague because I haven't watched it yet. He says, dude, I'm telling you, there's a scene where um, I had to read in the manga to understand what happened. But there was two characters on a bridge and then something happened. And then he, he didn't know what happened. But then he thought about it. He says, oh, man, that was amazing. I can't wait till you get there. Um, I, I don't know what it was. It was two characters. Uh, they, they were standing across from each other or something. And then he, he didn't realize what happened until he went back and looked at the episode and then realized what happened. Okay, there, there's a couple different points that he could be talking about. I'm curious to know which one it is exactly. I'm geeked to watch this, man. I, I'm geeked. I, I'm excited for you to watch this because once you watch this, we'll do a full episode on that one because I think Attack on Titan deserves it. Okay, yeah. So I got Attack on Titan on my radar. My Hero Academia, which I hear is really great. Like, people look... Like, you know me, I'm a writer. Like, they say the character development in that show is awesome. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Um, I've, I think I'm caught up on the anime right now. Uh, I haven't seen the movies yet. Okay. Which the movies yeah. are kind of like side stories, so you don't need to see them. Let me tell you something, man. What's the point of OVAs? OVAs? What uh, are those? OVA is original video animation. So it means that right. it's uh, content created for the purpose of uh, video only. So it's not from the manga at all. So it's basically used as like an interlude. So like you have season one ending in August and season two doesn't start until, you know, around February of the next year. Uh, the OVA will release somewhere in October to keep interest up. Okay. Okay. All right. So, okay. So One Punch Man is on my list. I heard that's a funny show. Um, yeah, it, some shows I'm not really stepping towards. Like One Piece is like so far off my radar because of how many, because <laughs> ep of the episode count. And I'm like, 
dude, why should I even begin it? It's it's still going. Yeah. That's like starting The Simpsons. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, Naruto, maybe one day. Uh, Bleach has a lot of episodes. Um, Bleach has a new season coming out soon, too. Yeah, I heard about that, but somebody told me that on Discord. And uh, But two old school ones I want to get into is like, Full Metal, uh, Full Metal um, Alchemist Brotherhood, which yep. I heard is amazing, and uh, Berserk, which I hear oh, is very Berserk dark. Oh, Berserk is great, yeah. I hear it's very dark, but very good. Yeah, the, sadly, the writer of Berserk uh, just recently passed, passed too. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. I um Again, this is a show that was pitched to me through like a YouTube video essay where somebody was explaining like, yo, why you sh- this is why you should watch Berserk. And then they were going through like how the original anime, it it ends on this huge cliffhanger, um, this huge emotional cliffhanger. But then some years passed and then they came out with these movies that basically retold what happened with the conclusion. And then there was a new season that was pretty crappy to look at, but kind of continued the story. Um, So and then, yeah, that's where it mentioned that the writer passed away. Yeah. Yeah. The new season, it's done in like a CGI animation. And uh, it's I've seen clips. Yeah, it's pretty badly animated. (laughs) It looks like a video game. I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch that as a series, maybe play it, but it it doesn't look good. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to you watching uh, our planned podcast for next week. uh, Five centimeters per second in your name. Yeah, man, I told you, man, I've been pre-gaming, dude. I'm like, you know what, man? Uh, me and Brad are about to go uh, balls deep in anime. I might as well get myself acquainted. And then I just straight up just muscle through and finish Monster. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking I'm looking forward to this, folks. Uh, we're heading into February, the month of love, Black History Month, which is really every month. But, um, you know, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're going down the, the road of love and uh, going with some... Uh, romance films uh these next few episodes yep uh starting with the very classic five centimeters per second and uh your name no man i just want to know i just want to cut to a real why is it called i want to eat your pancreas i just want to know why it's called no 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 no. don't you look it up don't you dare look it up you jump into that one blind (laughs) don't even look the film up nope you go into that one blind that is the okay. best way to go into that one. All right, bet. I won't look the film up, but I just – it, it boggles my mind. I'm like, why why call it that? Yeah, so that's another one of the movies that uh, I have put uh, Anthony up for watching for a future episode is I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. And, uh, man, I'm excited for that one. I got to tell you, man, I'm glad you told me that now to going blind because I was almost tempted to look it up this weekend. Just yeah. to look up what the movie's about. But uh, I'll go in blind. I'll go in blind. No problem. All right, folks. Uh, it's been a long one, but uh, it's been a fun one. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us. Uh, like, share, and subscribe. Always watch movies. Uh, take care.